Hello and welcome to another episode of the Champions of Wellness podcast, the show for leaders focused on improving mental health and well-being in the workplace. We thank you so much for listening. I'm Alex Slack and with me is my co-host PJ Gawkins. Here we are, Alex, a few more days removed from our amazing Champions of Wellness virtual summit and I couldn't be more excited for today's episode. We've been sharing clips from virtual summit speakers and today is going to be no different. Uh, we've got some great clips to share from speakers that dove into specific tactics and wellness resources they created prior and during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right. These speakers uh, not only acknowledge the extreme stresses of working during the pandemic, but they initiated programs to address both basic and psychological needs of their employees. So the basic and psychological needs that we're referencing here are the levels within the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if anyone remembers this from school, uh, it's a five-tier model of human needs with the base being biological and physiological needs, followed by safety, then love and belonging, then esteem and self-actualization. So we are going to start off with a clip from Summit speaker, Lisa McLean. Now, you may have heard her from an earlier episode. She is the director of physician wellness at Henry Ford Health System, and she is initially a psychiatrist, and she has worked and assisted with physicians and residents in optimizing healthy coping strategies. And her summit presentation discussed was caring for healthcare workers during a crisis. And here is how she focused on supporting the basic needs of her team during the pandemic. Pandemic. We had to consider basic needs first. The healthcare system's first response was the safety of our healthcare workers and their families. The community stepped up and donated hotel rooms at a discount. Food stations were created throughout the organization to give free coffee. I think I heard today uh, a, um, someone said that they had donated over 60, the community donated over 65,000 cups of coffee uh, during this pandemic. Our, our affiliate medical school, which is Wayne State University School of Medicine, uh, the students created a Google Docs volunteering services like childcare and grocery shopping. And at the core of these interventions was an overwhelming acknowledgement that we needed to do this together. And it was only together that we were going to get through this. That's great. You know, Lisa highlights bringing the community together to help deliver the basic needs first. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the simple things are the most impactful. Uh, and it was great to hear how around the Henry Ford Health System, the community coming together, stepping up, you know, when they were called upon. Yeah, and you wouldn't think that simple things like coffee would be a necessity. I mean, it certainly is for me, BJ. You know, I need my cup of coffee in the morning, but just imagining the struggle of healthcare workers and their long shifts and needing uh, to keep that energy. And just because I was curious, I wanted to know, is this something that was specific to Lisa's organization or is this something that was worldwide, nationwide? And yeah, it turns out there were a lot of companies that did donate things like coffee or donate volunteer services. I actually looked it up earlier that uh, even Starbucks, you know, donated over 50,000 care packages. Uh, and along with Keurig Dr. Pepper, they donated millions of cups of coffees to over 250 hospitals. So this is something that a practice that was done on such a large scale. Yeah. You know, it, I think that's going to be one of the recurring themes on today's episode with some of the other 
uh, speakers that we have that we'll highlight here, especially this next clip that we have queued up here uh, from the Oregon Health and Sciences University. Uh, they have created a COVID wellness task force, uh, and it's a consortium of wellness leaders from multiple disciplines across the university working to support the well-being of their community. Uh, at the summit, we featured uh, Dr. Abigail Leinhart, Dr. Sydney I, and Dr. And Andrea Sedfeld. Uh, and here's Andrea Sedfeld enlightening us on the wellness programs her team established to address issues surrounding those basic needs. So the goals of this arm of the task force really was to provide nourishment and rest, to express appreciation and caring for our staff and our community, and to acknowledge and respond to human suffering with offers of comfort in, in any way that we could. To accomplish these goals, three staff respite spaces were procured. And for those of you who work in academic health centers, spaces is, is usually of such a high, uh, in such high demand um, with so many remote, remote workers, uh, we were able to procure, procure some really nice space and hold on to um, most of it. It was stocked with healthy snacks and bottled water. Uh, wellness resource kits were made available, including items to reduce stress and pain and to provide some distraction and amusement. We had computers and headphones in two of the spaces so that members of the community could access wellness resources, review mindfulness exercises, or connect to the employee assistance program or other services. One space um, is a larger space and, and really nice and was equipped with um, yoga mats and other, um, other, other tools to, to do meditation practice. In terms of outcomes for this arm of the task force, um, we were able to see that the spaces were accessed over 2,000 times from their opening in April to the end of August, and that was found via badge swipe that you need to get into to get into these rooms. Yeah, I love what she she says there about providing space, and I think that's something that she echoed Lisa as well about providing just a space for someone to go into and use it for whatever they need as part of their uh, basic need or part of that physiological well-being is, okay, I just need to go somewhere. Maybe I do want to do a little bit of yoga. Maybe I just need to take a breath and just providing that area where they can be themselves and just get out of the craziness surrounding whether they're on the front line and working with uh, directly with patients, or maybe they're not even working with patients. I think that's important to note too, is yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic and yes, a lot of healthcare workers are in the thick of it, but this is a practice that can be used in any aspect of any industry in any office. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we can kind of say is a silver lining of the COVID-19 pandemic is, you know, as we heard in our previous episode about, you know, well-being becoming part of the discussion and being on the agenda now, that's great. Now, too, is what do we do and what are these tactics? And so in, in, in a moment's instance, they've had to create these processes, uh, test out what works, what doesn't, have, have the peer feedback be brought back all in a very short period of time to actually understand, all right, basic needs and essential needs are the first thing we need to deploy when our staff, our, our workers, our coworkers whatever it might be in any industry, experience trauma or experience loss or experience something that is out of the norm that might put them in a situation that could negatively impact their well-being. For sure. And you have to, just like Maslow Hierarchy says, you have to go and 
focus on those basic needs first for everything else to follow. And even looking outside of your workplace, I'm sure in the back of everybody's mind, they're thinking about the basic needs at home as well. So they're not just thinking about what their environment will be when they go into the office. They're thinking about how to make things safe for themselves at home. And I just wanted to note that uh, Lisa had talked about people who are volunteering their services for babysitting. And uh, I actually saw an article actually Back from March, where CBS News had reported a surge in childcare volunteers uh, during the pandemic, there was actually uh, when Minnesota announced their school-wide closures within 24 hours, there was a link for a Minnesota COVID sitters group that was actually comprised of medical students, and they were assigned to a healthcare staff member, whether, whether it was a physician, whether it was a nurse, uh, whether it was someone who worked in the cafeteria, and they were assigned to that person for babysitting services. So it's just, it's been so overwhelming to hear about the response within the medical community to help each other and understanding that you are not just a medical professional. You are are a person and you have uh, needs at home as well. You may have a family, you may have a pet that needs to be walked. So the, the fact that they're taking into account that you have a personal life as well as a professional life is so great to see. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's uh, step into psychological needs. So really that next tier, and we're going to still hear from uh, the Oregon Health and Sciences University and uh, refer back here to how they uh, dealt with the psychological needs of their team members. So I want to in particular highlight our resident and faculty wellness program as a model of care Um, that might be helpful for you all who are thinking about what kinds of psychological supports do you have in place um, for your trainees and for your faculty. And so our program was set up in 2004 specifically to try to reduce known barriers to physicians getting help. So we have um, uh, individual counseling and coaching. We also have um, two psychiatry prescribers. So we're able to do psychiatric evaluation and medication management. We also do a lot of care coordination and referrals to specialists if people need that beyond what we offer. And we also support um, our program directors, our chief residents, and our hospital and GME leadership when they have questions or concerns about how someone's doing um, or how they can be of support uh, to their trainees. And all these services were in place before COVID, but we felt would also be important during this time. Um, We also have an ongoing um, ability to do suicide prevention screening using the interactive screening protocol. And we established a couple of years ago a peer support program where we trained close to 50 faculty to be peer supporters um, after uh, somebody experiences an adverse event. And then we also recently, uh, during the time of COVID, trained a group of psychiatry residents to be resident peer supporters, to reach out resident to resident and provide support. Yeah, that's great. You know, and that's something that I think we continue to hear more and more of is that peer support continues to be one of those top tactics that we're hearing organizations Mm -hmm. roll out as this service that they're making available and, and providing the processes for this environment to exist so that they can support staff and faculty mm-hmm. um, and support their well-being with that peer support. And, you know, as as we heard here, you know, she mentions all of this was in place before COVID. Um, right. But 
COVID then, you know, shines a light or puts puts the magnifying glass on on some of the extreme, you know, trauma and events that their staff and faculty were going through and how much more the peer support and their, you know, psychological menu of services and, and program and their wellness program uh, that are available were needed and seem to have been working. Oh, for sure. And along with that peer support, I'm just so glad to see uh, psychiatric services on here as well. You know, I feel like psychiatry uh, really, with the help of pop culture, seems almost like a luxury service, right? Where you have people who are wealthy and they're going in just complaining about, you know, uh, about their lives. And I think that it's gotten a bad rep in this case. I think that psychiatry is a necessity now. And I think that it's great that medical professionals are realizing, hey, it's okay to go in and talk to a professional and talk about what's going on with you, even if you don't feel that your problems are ginormous. They don't have to be. I mean, these can be just the day-to-day -day grind is getting to you and you're having a tough time just leaving it open so you can go talk to someone and have somebody listen to you, I think is so important. Yeah, yeah. And that and that kind of starts leading into, you know, when you mentioned the the luxury, you know, and that was, you know, something that we heard with other speakers uh at Summit on some of the challenges was, well, well-being isn't, you know, seen as mandatory, isn't seen as a high priority. It's seen as this, you know, hey, it's nice when we can have it, but it's it's not a need. Um yes. and you know, and I think, you know, looking at our next clip here, Wendy Lane, she talks a lot about, you know, some of the low cost, low effort, high impact tactics um, on how they executed, um, you know, their response to COVID in that uh, immediate need that they had with their partners. Uh, and for those that didn't catch our previous episode, Wendy Lane uh, is the director of wellness for the Emergency Physicians Professional Association. Uh, she's the chair of the women's group, the Combating Burnout Committee, and the Social Committee, along with serving as the Assistant Medical Director for Mercy Hospital Unity Campus. And here she, she, she discusses the journey of a wellness director in her summit presentation. I think a big part of it is about creating time and space to discuss how we are feeling and how we're being affected by our job. Uh, last fall, we did have an uh, educational forum, so this was like a three-hour CME event all about burnout, um, where we kind of presented some information, some baseline things, and then really gave um, our entire audience time in small groups to discuss what they felt was contributing to burnout and wellness for them and what we could do as an organization um, to help, um, but really just, you know, creating a voice um, and a place for people to speak, I think, is so important. We did host a number of salons as well, um, which I did both within our independent group of emergency physicians and then also with like the nurses within the emergency department that I work at. Um, and just tried to build some community through these shared discussions. Again, just creating some time and space to talk about what's on our mind. Um, at work, we also took one of the mail rooms put a nice Ikea light in there, got a cheap massage chair um, and use that as a reset room so that everybody, um, staff on their breaks can take a break in there. You know, I love 
Wendy was so awesome in that presentation. And I got to say, just again, like you said, PJ, the little things that you can do to just improve that wellness and giving people that time. And one thing I think that's so important about, as you mentioned, the peer support and these small group discussions is eliminating the fear associated with sharing the issues that you're having. So having a group together and just having that open, honest discussion saying, here's what's going on. Are any of you having the same problem? What are you doing? How can this work for me is so valuable to just be in that group setting free from that fear that there's going to be retribution based on what your issues are. Yeah, and I think Wendy even mentions in her uh, presentation at Summit that, you know, it doesn't need to be a large group. It can just be, you know, a one-on-one coworker, peer, you know, I think she called it the battle buddy system on, you know, just having that one coworker to support each other and confide in um, and have that process and that that trust and that just a part of the culture uh, that the organization has. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some things that uh, I think are important here is it doesn't have to be a big time effort. I know that there's an issue with the medical profession specifically, like where do I find the time to take a moment and focus on what's going on with me and my psychological well-being? And we're actually going to hear from a couple speakers in future episodes. We're going to hear from Dr. Jeff Moody, who's a practicing urologist and author of The Doctors Burned Out, A Physician's Guide to Recovery. And we're also going to hear from uh, Dr. Greg Hammer, who's a pediatric anesthesiologist who uh, wrote the book Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And they both talk about very small, even less than five minutes of tactics you can do for your own psyche to help push you through some of those stresses. So I think it's crucial here. Yes, they're providing a physical space, a physical forum where you could talk to people, but there are also other things you can do for yourself to help with your psychological well-being. So going into um, the next speaker here, uh, we have, um, we're back to Lisa McLean, who has some great insights onto how they uh, worked on psychological needs for their team. We developed a 24-hour, seven days a week hotline, and this was done in collaboration with Behavioral Health Services and EAP and was manned by psychologists and received over 130 calls from across the organization from any type of employee that you can imagine during the peak of our surge. This was in addition to an employee services hotline that was available to answer questions about COVID exposure, furloughs, and other policy issues. This hotline was focused primarily on emotional support. Our three times a day, seven days a week, Zoom emotional support groups had over 800 logins during the surge. These groups, which were primarily focused on validation of symptoms with an emphasis on coping and then ultimately referral if needed, were really highly successful. Since our hospital had a complete disruption of GME, we had term residents in the ED and ortho residents in the ICU. Some of our psych residents were redeployed to EAP and provided fast-track medication management appointments to our employees. We also redeployed peer recovery coaches who had previously been working in the emergency department um, who were now unable to, um, people weren't coming into our emergency room as previously due to COVID. 
these coaches were redeployed to become part of our emotional response team, providing support for employees struggling with substance abuse. Manned by our health psychology team, we also had weekly mindful moment sessions, which provided virtual meditation sessions and were really popular with a variety of, um, we were having groups of people log into those virtual sessions. So I think this shows that one of the greatest things was how so many groups worked together to create these resources. There was amazing communication amongst many teams who truly cared and an openness to new ideas and doing as much as we could. Yeah, I agree with Lisa right right there at the end. You know, it's incredible to hear her talk about how many different groups and departments came together to support each other and the health system as a whole during that surge of, you know, COVID-19 cases and and all the emotional and psychological needs that moved up as a primary focus at that institution. Mm -hmm. And I, I like how she did add in there were virtual options as well. You know, you don't have to be on site to get this kind of care. And so she mentioned the drop in Zoom groups, which is great, is at any time if you need to talk to your group or talk to a particular peer, or maybe it's your your leadership, you can go in and have that discussion uh, virtually. Because I know that not, not everybody moved or is on site. A lot of them have moved off site. And so it's great to provide them that online opportunity as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, supporting psychological needs of staff was one of the main things discussed in our latest issue of the Champions of Wellness publication. Uh, and that article uh, was done by Dr. Katie Sardone and Sandy Scott. And in that article, they discussed the importance of, you know, validating those staff fears, calming their concerns, and, and ultimately recognizing the full range of potential emotions associated, you know, with the distress, especially the distress that was added during COVID-19 to not only the healthcare industry, but, you know, the workforce across the world. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the long laundry list of items, there's, uh, there really is no one thing that's going to provide the support. I think we mentioned that in our previous episode as well, is that it may be a combination of things. And it's important to note that you might fail at some things. There might be some tactics that aren't going to work for your team like you thought they would that might have worked for another organization. You have to find what's best for you, but you have to try maybe a couple of different things. If the wellness rounds is not coming through or providing any res great response or successes, maybe you do a diary. Maybe you do just push that 24-7 uh, hotline. There's a lot of different things you can do. So I think all of the summit speakers did encourage uh, the attendees to try different things, provide some type of outlet to your staff because something is better than nothing. Yep, definitely. And one thing I do want to mention is uh, if you get a chance to go to the championsofwellness.com blog, we do have a COVID-19 resources for healthcare providers, families, and leadership. And this is a comprehensive list of resources from the Center of the Study of Traumatic Stress. And there you can find really helpful resources that can be shared with your teams, such as 
what to do when a family member is hospitalized with COVID, or maybe it's crisis communication for leadership teams. How do you communicate the, the crisis and how do you communicate your plans of action to your teams? And also how to, from a provider standpoint, how to support patients dealing with isolation. So I know isolation is a really big uh, topic in that article. So we do uh, recommend that you go check out that blog at championsofwellness.com. Well, we heard a lot of great information today um, from the summit speakers on how to look after your team, both from a basic and psychological needs standpoint. So as always, we thank you so much for listening in today. For more information on today's episode, please visit the show notes at championsofwellness.com. For even more content focused on improving mental health and well-being in the workplace, visit our website and create your free account to get access to the Champions of Wellness video library, quarterly publication, blog, and more. Become a champion today and join us in leading the way to well-being. And you can subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast. You can follow Champions of Wellness on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and we'll see you next time.